Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 33 of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone is having a wonderful evening. Uh, let's start off with some sponsors as per the usual. Of course, we have Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. This stuff is amazing. Try it. I promise you won't be disappointed. Of course, toplobster.com. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, one of my favorite people in the entire world. Uh, this guy makes quality stuff like this great Break the Cycle custom embroidered logo hat that I'm wearing. Also, this Ron Paul, it didn't have to be this way hoodie. And today, I got in the mail this awesome, I'm going to put it up close, Break the Cycle pillow for the Couch Stream set. Now, you can have a piece of the Couch Stream set on your, on your own couch by ordering one of these. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And of course, anthemplanning.com. Wonderful people. Uh, Use them for all of your emergency and crisis needs, uh, planning needs. They're doing a job that the government sucks at for a much cheaper price and much more efficiently. Check them out. See what they can do for you today. Guys, we've got an awesome show for you today. I'm super, super excited. Uh, My guest today is uh, the Florida man. He's uh, he's the assistant editor at Mises, Paleo Libertarian. He is the Bay GOP vice chair and the host of Radio Rothbard. He is Tho Bishop. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. So glad to join you. Yeah, me too, man. I'm glad you can make it. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of you. We we don't see eye to eye on on uh, strategy. We'll, we'll, we're going to get into a lot of that, but I am still a big fan of yours. Uh, I think you do a lot of great things, so I'm I'm very excited to have you on the show, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah, no, glad, glad to join. And again, you've been doing the best work. Definitely the, the best looking show in the libertarian sphere. And again, I, I can't I can't endorse that endorsement of Top Lobster more enough because the guy out there is a true artist at a time where we definitely need them. So yeah, sure. you, you've been killing it. Thanks, man. Well, well look, fifty percent of the 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 vibe of my show is Top Lobster. If it wasn't for uh, that man, it wouldn't be half as cool as it is. He did the logos. He does the thumbnails. I mean, everybody who comes on my show gets like a custom yeah. hand-drawn uh, picture of themselves. You can't go wrong, you know? Oh. Uh, Particularly when you're wrestling an alligator. Like, yeah. this is, yeah. You know, hey, you, you're you Florida man. We had, to, yeah. we had to do it. It had to be you wrestling an alligator. Is either that or running naked down the street on meth. I mean, it had to be <laughs> one of the two things, right? Yes, I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. So, so you're, you know, you're uh, pretty intellectual when it comes to the the, the anarcho capitalist stuff and libertarian, paleo libertarian stuff. Uh, but how, you didn't just show up one day and be like, "I'm a Rothbard guy." I mean, you had yeah. to have a journey like most of us. So, why don't you explain to us uh, Tho's journey from from uh, normie, whatever you were, to uh, assistant editor of Mises and uh, and political activist. Yeah, well, my I, I was born in a very political household, for better or for worse. Uh, my father was uh, Buddy Bishop. He actually he wrote the uh, the playbook for training young GOP operatives back in the day. Like my dad was, he had me later in his life, so the, the time framing here. But my dad was the mentor of like Roger Stone and even Karl Rove. Um, and so I I grew up 
you know, at my father's knee, like listening to these war stories of campaign, you know, like dirty tricks. It was just, it was, it was great. I mean, he was, he was Southern politics as well. He was also, he, he, uh, before the, the corporate press was quite as evil as it was now, he actually worked for uh, NBC covering the civil rights era as well down here. And so I, I was saturated in this very political environment. Um, and uh, then I, I discovered this Ron Paul guy, you know, 2008. And um, while this, at the same time, you know, during the financial crisis and things like that, I used to love going in like AOL political chat rooms and, uh, you know, owning the, but before there was owning the libs, like my dad and I would go, we would go bash the libs. And, um, but, but I realized that during the financial crisis, I had nothing interesting to say. And I was already kind of reevaluating my, my views on the Iraq war because I was obviously a disaster. And there was this one guy in a, in a message board, a, a, a superhero message board, superherohype.com, that would repeatedly know what was going to happen in the financial sector, like before anyone else did. And he was better than any mainstream journalist out there. Like he just knew and he was sharing like zero hedge links at the time. And, and so I eventually I just asked this guy, I said, look, how do I get to know what you know? Because I, I, I hated not having opinion. And um, he sent me a copy of Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. And I started reading down there. And then I started meeting, reading more widely. And then this guy named Murray Rothbard just kept showing up. And his work was just so interesting and, and so compelling. And so I really got in the Austrian economic sphere. And um, you know, back when we had an oil spill here in Bay County, I, I had a, a job where we were cleaning up oil you know, tar balls from the beach. And like OSHA regulations, like it was, it was a 12 hour a week or 12 hour a day, seven days a week job, but you could only work like so long when the heat got to a certain level because of OSHA. And so I had all this time to just read books. And so I, I got so much reading done while working during this oil spill. And I started writing about this Austrian school because I found the, the work so fascinating. And one of my dad's clients was a guy named Spencer Backus, who worked for the financial service, who was a, a Republican from Alabama, uh, Birmingham. He became chairman of the Financial Services Committee after the Tea Party Revolution in 2010. And you know, I had a meeting with him. I asked, I told him about the Austrian school and about how they predicted things when no one else did. I wrote out a summary, you know, like it was like a 10-page summary of their views of the financial crisis. And from that, he hired me up to Washington D.C. And you know, I was a college dropout working at a coffee shop, and you know, uh, down here in Panama City at the time. And uh, from there, I got to know Ron's, Ron Paul's staff because he was on the committee. And so that was a dream come true, you know, going from literally the same week, you know, I come down, down here after being a barista and I'm walking this marble building and I could see Ron Paul tee off against Ben Bernanke. And it was just incredible. And I got to know his staff very well. Like I know Jeff Dice, who was the chief of staff at the time. And um, I ran for state house here in Bay County in 2014. And after I was not successful there, shortly thereafter, you know, Jeff asked, you know, was, was, was looking to, to fill his communication staff at the Institute. And so since 2015, I've been working at the best organization in the world, working to you know, having the opportunity to write and have a platform there, and then also get to, to know and work with and promote the work of some brilliant young scholars that we have in the Austrian tradition. And so I've been living my best life, you know, because because of all this, you know, I, I get to work for a job that again, there's no other organization out there that I think is more important. And I get to work with people who I think work matters, and and I get to to deal on the ideas that I think are vital to uh, uh, rebuilding civilization. And uh, so that, that's kind of my journey. It's been it's been a, an incredible thing, and I've had a tremendous amount of luck, and and gotten to know, know a lot of great people along the right way. And 
all of it has led here on this couch stream. So that's got a little bit of my background there. Nice. You're at the pinnacle now talking to me, yeah. you know, this Absolutely. is the, yeah. Tom Woods. Who's cartoon that? form? Oh, Paul, yeah. what? Huh? Get out of here. Well, the peak of any career really is, I think it's when you, when you make it into the cartoon form. So this is you know, peak for peak for Tom, peak for Michael, and now, now now peak for me. Absolutely, absolutely. I just reached out to Tom and and Jeff recently about having them on the couch stream. So hopefully, hopefully one or both will come on at some point. I I hope. Uh, speaking of anarcho, uh, uh, you know, the the anarcho capitalist and, and mm-hmm. Austrian tradition, especially. Uh, I mean, there's been some really great uh, uh, philosophers and economists uh, involved in in that tradition. Um, you know, especially Murray, I think Murray for me was, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for, mm-hmm. for, for a new Liberty. I mean that, that book, I opened that book and it was a window that I could never close again. What was the first one that you read that you were like, wow, this is everything. I'm trying to think of my first Rothbard article. Uh, I, I will say that, that one of those articles that was just a, a changing of reality to me was reading it. It was an Ayn Rand article. And it was called, I think it was something like Let Us Alone, but it was about the history of the word laissez-faire. Oh, sure. And because I was reading this at like the like 2009 Obama era. And so this essay is fantastic because it was critiquing and, and commenting on the president trying to pass a, pass a stimulus package. And like, and it's not until like the, the last page of the article where it references President Johnson rather than the president. And that that's where my mind was completely blown because like, man, like you could take this article from, you know, 1960s and run it here now in 2009. And like we haven't learned a damn thing. Right. And that like once you start recognize like, you know, th- there's a lot of the history side of it that's also been a red pill. Like I, I know like the Tom Woods and, and Gutsman's book on like who killed the Constitution is just great at like killing, like reframing your view of American history in particular. But like once I think that you know, once you really get down the economic rabbit hole then it allows you to uh, properly uh, uh, really scrutinize all the state action that we've had in the last hundred plus years. And, and that's something where, you know, that, that's when I started recognizing just how powerful all this sort of stuff is. And, um, and so that, that's the one article that, that I can, you know, I can, that, that's, that's when everything changed. That was my red pill. That, that was probably the red pill um, for me was that, that Ayn Rand article. Uh, but there's so much by Murray. I mean, his 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 his, his, for his sense of humor, coupled with his not not only incredible economic brilliance, where he made genuine traditions of the, the the economic school, his history is wonderful. And I think the history the, the narrative of history is so powerful in communicating ideas far more than pure theory can. Um, you know, it's just he 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 was such a but but, but you know but, but his work as a political strategist as well the fact that he's someone who wasn't simply content to being an ivy tower ivory tower was actually went a brawl and he made a lot of enemies for it but that's that's the thing that we, we are so blessed and i don't think we've properly realized someone of his intellect being so hands-on in the political sphere and that's one of the best assets that we as libertarians have is building on the shoulders of that giant right there sure sure yeah i absolutely agree and that's you know if, if it wasn't for murray i probably wouldn't be in the libertarian party which i know is kind of kind of weird to you right um but you know i believe that there's still those traditions in the libertarian party uh, that that murray brought to it it just needed a revival and that's why that's why i work with Mies Cox. that's why i think that you know they are reviving that tradition in the libertarian party uh per se but but you 
you obviously have a difference uh, of opinion when it comes to strategy with with the Libertarian Party and the Republican Party. You're mm-hmm. in your you work with the Republican Party. Um, and for me, I, I was a Republican. I was actually a neocon, if you can believe that. Uh, you know, I joined the military right after September 11th uh, and decided I was going to go and protect my country's freedoms in the Middle East. You know, how, I don't know how they got there. Um, and, uh, and that really is what red-pilled me was, was going to war. Uh, mm-hmm. and I came home. I didn't, find, I didn't find support for my values anymore in the Republican Party mm-hmm. uh, until I found Ron Paul in 2007. I worked on Ron Paul's campaign in 2008. Uh, if you're if you're familiar, he he endorsed me for chair chairman of the Libertarian mm-hmm. Party last year, um, which was just I mean so insanely special to me. Um, uh, but the Republicans left me in two th- after the Ron Paul campaigns. I mean that's they left me. They showed me personally that um, th- that liberty wasn't their cause, you know. And so uh, I guess my my question for you would be why the Republican party. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it, is it really just because it's more effective? Well, it, it's really not that, um, that that's, that's part of it, but it's really not that because, and, and this is, this is, it, it's always difficult to try to peel off all of the, the layers to it because my, my view on, on the pure party structure tactics is not simply based off of, and this this is where i think it, it where i differ a bit from others my, my my position is not simply that the republican party is more effective than the libertarian party my opinion is that a libertarian movement is counterproductive for libertarian ideas that there's no value in libertarian unity and that when libertarians try to create something on their own they are diminishing the value of libertarian ideas because libertarianism is not enough for a movement in itself because libertarianism is a thin political philosophy and and so that's that's kind of the i have kind of a, a little bit of a, a revisionist take on like the, the ron paul revolution and, and really american politics the last 30 years go I, I i even disagree with with dr hoffa on the paleo history which is very arrogant for me considering i was in diapers at the time sure, and hoffa sure. was there <laughs> but 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 i i think i'm justified in doing so um because I, I think that the, the Ron Paul movement to me was a continuation of the paleo strategy in the 90s. And I say that because while Buchanan lost his presidential – and I'm sorry, I'm going long-winded. And I hope this, no, I, please do. Please I, do. I, think this, I, I think this was just the point. Um, you know, while it's true that Pat Buchanan's campaign lost in 92 and 96, and it's also important to actually point out that Lou Rockwell was not a 100% Pat Buchanan guy in 96. He was also very favorable to Steve Forbes. True. Um, while those campaigns did not succeed – there was a very important campaign that did succeed in 1996 and that was Ron Paul, his return to Congress. Right. And that was a very tight election. And it's because when Ron, Ron ran the first time, he was known to be a principled guy. Uh, but he was, the, he was the, the, the country doctor, right? He was the guy that delivered the babies. By the time that 96 came around, he was known as being the rat, you know, the, the, the radical libertarian Ron Paul. And that's harder to win. in like Jackson, and so it was the it was Ron Paul's orbit, which was always Lou Rockwell and Murray Rothbard and all of that group. They they were able to build a nationwide apparatus, and Ron Paul knew how to appeal to average Republicans. And 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 I think the problem is that after is that is that, is that the Ron Paul Revolution inspired a liberty movement. And I think that as us as libertarians, we have a lot of nostalgia for that liberty movement because it was a lot of fun. We we found a common cause. We, we met a lot of people online. We would go to events and conventions. We'd have thousands of people. And we thought we were going to change the world. 
and we didn't. It, it failed. It failed terribly. And it failed in part because Rand Paul, who was the best senator in the country, is not his father. And that's that's that's. The, but but the problem is, is that liberty. I don't think the, the liberty movement is a politically effective force on its on its own. Um, libertarians in politics have traditionally benefited more on the right side generally. But even Ron, Ron's Ron's strength, I think, came as much from his strong Christian ethic rather than simply his libertarian ethos. And I don't think that you can ignore that aspect to it. And so that's that's kind of my larger conversation here is that I think the libertarian movement is a problem for libertarian ideas because I think it ends up pushing everything on our very narrow view of our of, of political arrangements. And it necessarily ties our hands behind our back on the larger cultural issues, because once we start getting the cultural issues that pushes us right or left, and that's always where the division lies. True. And and the problem with well, I, well, I believe in in the Rothbardian theory view of history of liberty versus power. The problem is is that if you don't have a cultural lens to view that from, then people's definition of liberty changes dramatically. What the left considers liberty is very different than what we consider sure. liberty, and simultaneously, power is is changed. In my own version, in my my own opinions of power have changed. Given I I, I can't see power simply through a state lens, um, you know, given the the rise of corporate tyranny. Um, but 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 that's the whole thing, though, is that like you, you need more than simply a, a political an understanding of political theory that that political theory ends up being a framework for that reflects your larger cultural views. And so we are not a united movement. Um, we have libertarian views that can contribute to the cultural outcomes of the left and the right, but we are not a unified movement. And so and so the, my, my larger debate over the GOP versus the LP is a reflection of that in politics. And it's also why I encourage culturally left libertarians to go on the Democratic side and try to outwoke the left. God bless you. Corey Massimino, if, if he was out there th going to the Democrats, I would support that entirely. True. Um, and so that's so 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 that's where I think that the larger disagreement about parties is a superficial part of my larger kind of view there on libertarian movements beyond simply the ballot box. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it, it's it's hard. For, it's still kind of hard for me to wrap my my head around it because we have had great people in the Republican mm -hmm. Party. You know, I'm a fan of Thomas Massey. I was a f mm -hmm. mostly a fan of Justin Amash. I still I still think Justin Amash was one of the greatest congressmen, uh, you know, that, that we've had in the last, I don't know, 30 years or something besides Ron Paul and a few others. Um and 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 Rand Paul, of course, I think is is great on most things. Uh, I I don't agree with him on everything, obviously, but I know that he has to work a certain way to get certain things done. Um, but I've watched them kind of these 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 liberty these liberty Republicans, right? It's what we we want to call them, uh, like Austin Peterson, right? Like I'm I, mm. I I've been friends with Austin Peterson uh, for a while. We talk sometimes. Uh, I've I've hung out on his dad's ranch in 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 Missouri. Uh, but it, when it came down to it, the the GOP treated him like absolute garbage you know uh pretty bad and and they 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 kind of i mean it it seems to me like like the congressmen that do get elected that are liberty-based republicans they they really can't get a lot done because the gop mm -hmm. doesn't really agree with those those forms of liberty so it's always been kind of hard for me to wrap my head around the, ever since the ron paul campaign especially you know well i, I think the the issue there is i, I think there's a few different things of looking at it. For, for one, one of the things that's the defining characteristic from all the libertarian congressmen, and I think liberty Republican congressmen, and I think this is something that libertarians often take for granted, is that they were more than simply liberty. True. Right. They they, they, were, they were well respected. I mean, like, like again, Ron Paul was obviously a very well respected doctor. Thomas Massey was a very well respected engineer and a county level. You know, he was basically like the, the county level mayor, you know, more or less. Not quite those terms. And then 
you know, Justin Amash was a state rep, so he was able to build his way up. And and I think the problem with someone like like Austin and and, I, and, and things. I mean, uh, the problem with Austin is that, and again, I, I've come to really respect where he's at. I, I, th- I think Austin has grown a lot, and I pre and I, I like seeing that. I love seeing people grow, and Austin's done that. And I'm, so I've become a big fan of his. But I was very anti his his Senate campaign campaign in 2018 because I saw it as a vanity project. Oh, when also, at a time you're also where Republican, you had Josh Hawley, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not even just because that, because because there's there's a finite amount of liberty capital out there for political and and things. Like if you're going from the LP, very publicly, you know, again, I, I I respect his ambition running for the LP uh, nomination there, um, and he and, and again, it, it needs to be pointed out that Austin Peterson, 2016, got some of the most important, uh, got got some of the most weighty endorsements oh, sure. of any libertarian candidate race. Again, that that that, that is that is something regardless of anything else is a is a respectable achievement. Um, the problem is that when you jump from the LP to the GOP, and like he, he wasn't just in the LP in 2016. I mean, he was very anti-Trump. So we're going to have some co-hosts here. Um, the, very the, anti-Trump. The chat is all talking about your cat right oh, now. Oh, yeah, his <laughs> mama cat right there. She came with the house. We had we did not own a cat in Auburn, and then we came here, and she was pregnant when we moved in, and then – so that's a whole other thing. So she came with the house. But but so Austin you know, was very hostile to Trump, and she can't run for Senate two years after when you have obviously when you you know that that, that's that's that doesn't work and so what it was and and again i i respect the game but like it was him building his name recognition is fine but the problem is it's it's i'm not surprised for example the bay that that the the, the missouri gop kind of looked at him suspicion because it was a it was a suspicious looking move right you know you know he's not running off of you know like that's that's fair um i think what's if only the libertarian party would have treated bill weld the same way right exactly yeah yeah exactly um (laughs) Uh, but so, but, but they are, the, the the additional issue though is that if you only look at like the GOP, I think on the national scale is is totally compromised. Sure. Um, perhaps structurally, perhaps intentionally. So perhaps it's it's just well intentioned. Whatever, I don't know. Uh, but the GOP nationally is an embarrassment, um, and I, I've never defended it as such. I think that there are interesting elements in the national GOP. Like I think Jim Jordan, if Jim Jordan was leader, I think the GOP would be much better overnight. I think Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are two of the best members of Congress. And and, and, and and I would I would take Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates over a generic libertarian Republican congressman because they know how to work the, the rallies. They know how to work the excitement. And they also question narratives that need to be questioned. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene sounds like the Libertarian Party of Kentucky right now, right? I mean, she got, she got very strongly worded about it. But like, you know, that's, that's the, so, so I think those are positive developments. But the, the national GOP is worthless. True. What, what's, where, where it's not worthless, though, and this is where I get frustrated with the way this conversation goes sometimes, is that if you look at the state level, the idea that Republicans don't reduce government is a lie because Republicans, given the powers of state government, often do reduce it. We've seen, I mean, Tennessee got rid of its income tax a few years ago. Like, sure. that's a major, that's a big, that's a big deal, right? Ron DeSantis, I'm gonna, obviously, I think it speaks for himself. I know you'll have libertarians. We're, we're going to have a whole segment on, on, Ron, on DeSantis. Don't um, worry. We're going we're to talk but, about your buddy. I promise. Excellent. Thanks. So, but, but get across the nine out of 10 of the states with lowest taxes in the country are tax are, are, are red. Sure. One, the one blue is Colorado and Washington. Um, you know, the lowest, the, the freest economies in terms of regulation, red, right. Colorado being the one exception. And, and, and so I, I and, and while like, I understand like, the response is like, oh, well, drug laws, well, it's easier to avoid drug laws in a red state than it is easier to avoid tax laws in a blue state. You know, so that's I, I, I don't like this this idea that, oh, well, blue and right, red are the same. They're not. 
they're fundamentally not. And anyone, if, if your analysis in the political spectrum is assuming they are, then you are lying to yourself to draw a conclusion. And, and I, I think we as libertarians, we can't afford lying to ourselves for comfort. We are, we're fighting the most important light, battle in civilization. It's us versus the state. And we can't afford to, to, pat our, to, 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 to lie to make ourselves more comfortable on the powers that be because it's, it's easier that way. And I think there's a lot of libertarians that prefer to, to tell themselves convenient lies than well, deal with the reality of so, power. So here, here's my thing, too. Is, is it a lie or is it that, you know, the, the Republican state, the red states, right? States and, and somebody actually mentioned it in Charlie Baker in, in the chat mm -hmm. and now one of probably one of the worst governors yeah. in the country. Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, screw so so but here, here's and you're talking I know you're talking about state legislators and all kinds of stuff, not just governors. Um, but we will get into your your your, your friend Ron DeSantis, I promise. But but um, is, is it is it lying to herself or is it that there's some there's some laws and 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 stuff that go on in in blue states that that some libertarians may be more comfortable with than the laws and stuff they have to deal with in red states Look, if you care about if if you would rather be locked down in your home and be free to buy weed from the corner store sure. then california was better than florida if that's right. your priority fine and, and 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 again i'm i'm not a universalist by any means if if there are certain uh, uh, and and you know this this is why like I I fully support uh, blue states, you know, radicalizing the the liberalism, you know, in in, in the leftist sense. Um, that's I, I think the beauty of the decentralist framework. But if 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 that's you know if if the priorities of blue states on cultural issues matter more to you than let's say for simpl for simplicity's sake economic libertarian issues, okay, fine. That's, you know, but I think it's a mistake. The problem is, though, is that don't. It, 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 so therefore, in those situations, if you want to try to make the tax environment a little bit better or the regulatory environment a little bit better, my suggestion would not be to join the GOP. Um, it would be to show your culturally left flag and let it fly and let that define you and then try to work in economics on the side while being a Democrat. True. Um, and but, but I, 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 I'm, I'm going to know no. Uh, uh, a delusion that you know, libertarians are all going to be united behind a cultural flag. And it, it's, that's precisely why I favor uh, a separation as much as possible. I, I think decentralization within the liberty movement is just as useful as the uh, decentralization within the uh, political sphere. The nation. Yeah. Uh, are you, I mean, are you a fan of the national divorce? I, you know, I, I yes. Yeah. I'm a Florida, I'm a, I'm a Florida nationalist. I'm gonna throw that out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, I, it's funny because I, I hear I hear uh, Michael Miles talk a lot about national divorce, and I totally am on board 100%. But mm -hmm. prior to that, Adam Kokesh was talking about localization, getting the government mm -hmm. down to the very smallest yes. level possible. Uh, he, he wrote a whole bunch about it. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's probably the thing I agree with the most with uh, with Adam Kokesh is localization, because then, you know, if you do have an issue with with, uh, you know, a red state having this or mm -hmm. that and this or that, you can go to this other blue state or whatever it is and and, and deal with whatever tyranny it is that you like there. Um, but but yeah, I think the national divorce is really important. And so so talk, we're going to talk a little bit about Ron DeSantis. I know I know mm -hmm. you're a fan. Um, I think I you know, I like a lot of stuff that Ron has done as well. You know, I'm not I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, oh, he's a you know, I, I think he's done some really good things. I think Florida really handled uh, this this COVID 
bullshit pretty well. I was lucky enough. I, I actually, you know, I'm from California, though. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. and I left California uh, five minutes before they instituted a 24-hour lockdown uh, in, in March of last year. I, I moved to Iowa. And Iowa's been great. Um, they did they did do a like a kind of half-assed um, shutdown for about a month, and then mm-hmm. uh, she uh, uh, Kim uh, Reynolds did a mask mandate for about two months, but no one followed it. No one gave a shit. You could walk in any store you wanted without mm-hmm. a mask. Now she has made it completely illegal, um, signed into law, made it illegal to have any mask mandate. So great, and and so for you know for a libertarian, most libertarians are like, hey, you can't. You know, you can't support right. that shit. I'm like, yes, I can. I can yeah. support whatever I want. I think it's, I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to have all the, the, res- the, the restaurants and the, and the grocery stores and shit around here telling me, Hey, if you don't cover your face, you can't come into our, our business and, and buy food for your children. Well, okay. Well now you're fucking with my kids. Right. right. Um, and so, so I was really, I was really, you know, I, I actually supported it. I, I did. And, and <clears> people can call me not a libertarian, but what was it about Ron? I mean, what was it that, that you liked so much about Ron DeSantis and how he handled all this shit in Florida? Well, for one, I think it's important to understand. Like, I'm, I've been following DeSantis for a while. Um, I was a big supporter of his in 2018, not less because of DeSantis, um, but because of his enemy, who was Adam Putnam, who was the absolute embodiment of the worst parts of the the Bush Republican Party. You know, like it, awful. Right. Uh, you know, he, he was like the youngest state rep in Florida. Uh, you know, came you know he was a young Republican, you know, all star, became a congressman when he was you know, in his mid 20s. Voted for you know, every war, voted for cash for clunkers, which should have been an easy gimme, voted for the light bulb ban. It was awful. And um, DeSantis ran a terrible primary campaign. Uh, De- uh, Putnam got all the endorsements in the state. If you were active in Florida politics prior to 2015, you were all you know, 99% behind Putnam. And then three Donald Trump tweets led Ron DeSantis to crushing Adam Putnam by 20 percentage points. Jeez. And that's that is the most underappreciated moment of like modern political history. Like that's 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 when I, I I recognized the Trump phenomenon for what it was and what what the Trump flag gave Republicans smart enough to use it was a weapon against the worst parts of state politics. And so, but 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 the Santos when he was in Congress is interesting because he was a member of the Freedom Caucus. So he himself, you look at his voting record, he's got some interesting stuff. He's really good on. Um, uh, vocational training and things like that, uh, but for the most part, I mean, it, it is it is a a mediocre to slightly above average, given the scales of Republican politics in D.C. record. Uh, but it was he was in the Freedom Caucus, so he surrounded himself with the right people. And then when he won his election, his Sherpa in Tallahassee was Matt Gates, because Ron DeSantis when he came in, Ron DeSantis was an outsider, and so was Rick Scott. And I'm not the biggest Rick Scott fan in the world, but I, I think that it's it's it is important. That Florida's last two governors were outsiders outside of the state political system. I think it's easy to compare, for example, Florida to Texas or, or Florida, Florida to New York or, or Texas to California. I think it's more useful to compare Florida to Texas because Texas is a state coasting off its reputation, whereas Florida's thriving. And a big part of that is that Texas's politics are very internally controlled. The last 30 years, only one governor from Texas did not come from a statewide office. That was W. Um, and same same for lieutenant governor is even more powerful. So so Florida so so, this, so it was a disrupting force in Tallahassee when you bring in a new outsider. And Matt Gates was a Sherpa. And Matt Gates is someone who I have I'm a big fan of. I I, I think Matt Gates is the best vision for the Republican Party that I've seen expressed out there. That includes even Thomas Massey. Um, there's no one out there I think has expressed a better vision. And so he, he came again. He has this uncanny knack of surrounding himself with the, the people that I like. Um, 
And then his first battle when he became governor was fighting his own Republican Party over some stupid attempt to regulate loose leaf marijuana, medical marijuana, after the, 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 the voters voted like 70-30 in favor of it. Um, he had his alliance during the campaign. He, he had the support of a lot of environmentalists because he was anti-big sugar cronyism, which is a big big deal down the Everglades and pollution down there. And he also got black mothers in Tallahassee to support him over Gillum, um, which considering it was a 33,000 vote election is pretty significant um, because of his commitment to school choice. And so like his, his, re his record, again, it's not, it's not libertarian, but it's, it, was, it was interesting. He, he had a knack for things. And then seeing him become the man that he is now during COVID, I like – I mean it, it, it's, it's rare to see a politician genuinely develop, True. genuinely improve. Most people don't have the e – if, if you've gone from Congress to the governorship, chances are your ego is large enough to, 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 to make it difficult to change. True. But DeSantis did. Um, you know, he, he, he was one of the, the biggest resistors of locking down at all. He locked down because Trump asked him to. Because the political polling sucked. Right. Because Florida sh not shutting down during COVID was hard to do in Florida when you have a presidential campaign going on. Because you know, you, cities in Florida are multi are multiple times larger than the entire state of South Dakota. True. And so you've got a lot of scared old people that listen, listen to nothing but the mainstream media. My, my great aunt, she's 95. She hates taxes as much as any good ANCAP, but she was scared to death of COVID for one, because she was 95 sure. and two, because she listened to the mainstream media and she votes and she was not happy. Like, you know, she was scared. These people were scared. And it's hard to do that when your voters are scared. Right. And um, so, you know, and, and but but the thing is, he learned he, he actually he dealt with the science. He, he he created an entire parallel scientific expertise base around him. Some of the people that are featured in Tom, uh, Tom Woods' show, uh, Scott Atlas from from uh, uh, Stanford, True, yeah. uh, a lot of the great Barrington signers, things like that. And so he recognized the D.C. policy experts are lying. They're not simply giving bad policy. They are lying. And he stood up to that. That's powerful. Right. He's been taken on the media because the media was misrepresenting the things. He recognizes the danger of the media. And in the last year, Florida has taken significant steps on uh, uh, taking out the worst, not all, the worst of left, leftist indoctrination in our public school system. There's, they're, they're, they're getting serious about some of the uh, abuses in higher ac academia. And so here you have a Republican governor that's taken on the D.C. policy expert establishment who has taken on the media, who is taking on the universities, who is taking – and also made me one of the freest people in the civilized world. You know, he's not a libertarian, but he has done more for my liberty than any other politician in American history during my lifetime. True. And, and, and so to me, when I hear libertarians try to critique DeSantis off of like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't want to legalize marijuana tomorrow. It's like, okay, I, that'd be great, but I'm – I'm not going to be ungrateful for the fact that I've been one of the freest people. I, living in a free world is more important to me than critiquing someone. You know, the, oh, actually, libertarian theory says I don't. I don't want to live in theoretical Facebook discussions about debate about about libertarian theory. I want to live in a free society, and I was able to go to a dive bars in May of 2020 without a mask. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Yeah.
Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over. And be surrounded by people just like me. And that's that's something I, I could not have done in most states in this union. Sure, sure. Or the world. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree. I, you know, I, I've, uh, it was for me initially, it was Christy Gnome. You know, I was like, oh, Christy Gnome. And then when she actually like vetoed uh, uh, the, the, the the vote for yeah. I couldn't there was nothing else like I could not yeah. I could no longer uh, defend her after that I mean that you know I it's not the drug war is a big deal to me don't get me wrong I think it's it's got to be one of the top issues for libertarians sure. because it does lock people in cages all over the country uh, for for victimless crimes and in violent rape cages I mean it's a bad yeah. thing it's a very and bad it, thing and it, and it justifies and it, it justifies an increase in the state in ways beyond even for, I mean it victimizes those that aren't drug users not that drug users should be victimized but the, the, the victims go much broader well and i think i think it was was it, i think it was scott horton that i had on the show uh that really kind of opened my mind to the drug war is also a war on gun owners mm-hmm. um because they can give you a federal charge if you yep. if you if they pick you up you got weed on you and you have a gun on you they can give you a federal charge now it becomes this big huge uh, uh gun rights issue and um so there's i mean there's so many layers to the drug war that people don't even understand right. Um, so th- it is a big topic for libertarians, and it's not just because we want to get high. Uh, a lot of us do want to get high, <laughs> you know. I get that, uh, but it, there, it goes it goes a lot deeper. But yeah, I, I I'm the same way. Like you know, I live in Iowa. They're still arresting people for simple uh, possession of of CBD here. Mm. Not even just not just pot, not loosely for what <laughs> we just call it flower bud. I'm just, right. just so you know. Right. Uh, right. So, but uh. But for CBD, I mean, this 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 thing that has been proven and used for all kinds of different shit all over the country. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, I've been able to go to bars and restaurants and we we went to uh, Adventureland once with mm-hmm. the kids. And it was, you know, they don't require masks. There's no six foot rule. It's like and, and nobody got sick. And so yeah. it, it was pretty cool. Uh, it, it's pretty cool to live in a state like that. So I totally get the I get the uh, the feeling, you know what I mean? Like, it's not not anything crazy um we got a super chat from quest fanning thanks a lot buddy he said how about we find a state or country that is a sanctuary from federal income tax yes please mm-hmm. let's do it that's like puerto it. rico yeah yeah th- yeah there you go yeah. and it's nice there you can have the beach too it's not yeah it's not much go, go, go join peter Schiff down in puerto rico and that's also like the peter the the uh, the puerto rico statehood stuff is such a a, a disgusting cynical play by the left because they have no problem massively destroying the, the the quality of life of people in puerto rico for political power for, for perceived political power oh, sure and if, if you start making puerto ricans pay the income tax like it's, it's awful well let's i mean let's be honest the uh the left has shown that they're willing to smash anybody mm-hmm. in this in this country for anything uh even completely hypocritical reasons that go absolutely antithetical yeah. to their own uh you know uh their own admitted uh, principles mm-hmm. they don't have any um, but they, they, they either stu- stuff that goes completely antithetical to stuff they say they support they will still stomp on that just for right. political power I mean there's no doubt about it 
I don't view the Republicans, most Republicans, as much different. But you know, what are you, what are you going to do? There's there's some good ones, and I obviously I align more with the Republican Party and a lot oh. of Republicans than I do the the Democrats. So well, the problem is, libertarian the Republican Party doesn't do it enough because the Republican Party doesn't know what it stands for. Well, there's that too, yeah. Like that's that's the issue is is that and like, this 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 has come up I think with like the big tech issue. Like you you have. You know, you know, very, very intelligent libertarians and, and all the Cato crowd. It's funny. You go, go look at how what, what Cato's commentary on DeSantis's uh, COVID oh, policies bad. are. I'm not going to contrast it. it to the way they cover his big tech stuff. Yeah. But, like, but you, you have someone like Justin Moss yesterday. Um, I'm a uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Republican, so I get to call out people like Justin Moss. The uh, the uh, 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 like the the like he, he had a tweet yesterday about like, oh, right wing statism and left wing left wing statism are, are equally bad. And, uh, you know, in, anything that's about you know, uh, infringing upon the property, you know, the private property rights of businesses is, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's not free speech. That's not liberty. And it's so, so here you have Justin Moss trying to act like Facebook and Twitter are in no way different than a mom and pop shop. Now, I, I get that there's brevity in Twitter that can't give you nuance. I'm fine. But this is the problem with libertarians in general, because like the idea that increasing consumer protections on Big tech companies that arbitrarily enforce their their, their policies um, to to in order to restrict political certain political thought to to argue that uh, oh this is an organic market creation is wrong it's a lie sure and 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 it's, it's, it, it, and the problem is is that it ends up destroying I mean, it's like Frederick Bastiat right he talked he, he talked about the danger of of uh, uh, good good positions argued. You know, poorly and how, how it destroys the position better than a good argument against it that's what you have if if you have people that are out there waving the flag of free markets and capitalism while being blind to the way that the left has aligned the interest of state and global corporations and and something like giving consumers who are who are customers stronger transparency protections on whether or not they're going to be discriminated for Voicing a certain political opinion, we're not talking about egregious, you know. But we're talking about political opinions. We're not talking about uh, uh, you know, merits on on censoring bad behavior. Um, like if 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 your if your reflex is like, oh, well, private property rights, it's like th that's not enough. Like these companies do not exist because of private property rights. These are not market creations. And and I think that and and that does not justify two thirty repeal. I think two thirty repeal is a bad idea. It does not justify any open season against corporations sure. do whatever the hell you want the problem is, is that if we have libertarians if we don't find our inner jackson and go to war against state privilege and identify the enemy as the enemy then we're going to end up having no voice on the right and we're going to end up with teddy roosevelt progressive populism sure. and guess sure. what that's a lot worse and so that, that that's up to us do, do we want to, to deal with the world as it exists or do we want to preach and act self-righteous as if we are the only ones that have any any good ideas and talk about an ivory tower model of the way businesses operate? And I think that there's a lot of libertarians that do. I'm just not one of them. Sure. Yeah. And, I, and I'm with you on that as well. I mean, I've I've, I've talked quite a bit about how uh, especially the, these big tech companies, right? They're uh, 
they're not just free market creations like you said they're not they're absolutely not they're they have had all kinds of uh tax incentives uh they've they've been subsidized with our tax money uh they you know some of these companies have been bailed out in times of crisis while the rest of us were left to starve um and so uh yeah they they shouldn't be banning the people off who helped keep them afloat off of their off their platforms and i, I agree fully you know and, and and you're right it's not just about egregious things you know if if you tell somebody oh i got banned from Facebook, you tell somebody on the left oh i got banned from facebook they're going to say good you were probably spouting uh racist or misogynistic right. or xenophobic or whatever word they're using for the day uh rhetoric but we know that that's not the truth uh right. we probably just showed support for uh you know president trump at the time or we said we didn't believe in lockdowns or you know what i mean just stupid well, shit. I- I think you were penalized for questioning whether or not the virus came from a Wuhan lab. I actually, so I got removed back in October yeah. for life from Facebook for yeah. saying the same thing that Dr. Fauci Funny uh, how that happened. is is now saying uh, publicly. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. Um, and 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 you know we're we're living in a time where uh, things you heard last week were conspiracy theories are now this week true. I mean, it's from one week to the next. Uh, we and I just I just posted about this on Twitter how Dr. Fauci last week was. saying saying we never gave money from the NIH to the Wuhan lab uh, and this week he's justifying why they had to give money to the Wuhan lab as the NIH which just blows my mind that from one week he's telling the American public no we didn't do that the next week he's justifying why they did that and those same people who have been supporting Fauci since the beginning are telling me you have to listen to everything this man says you have to submit to these people you have to let them uh, do what they need to do to fix things and I'm like look at the last two weeks of this person and tell me that this is the person you should, we should be listening to and submitting to, uh, in general. It just blows my mind, man. It's it's just so disgusting, really. No, Fauci, uh, Fauci should be arrested and charged for crimes against humanity. I, the cost of his 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 uh, lockdown. I mean, he 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 is he's a fraud. He lied. He he is, he is, he's admitted to lying multiple times to the American people. The problem is is that we accept it because America is not a democracy. It's a technocracy. And, and it's, it's this managerial class and these people, there's no there's no consequences. But like Fauci should be tried and he should be treated as as an enemy, of the, as, as an enemy of the people, because that, that's what he did. His uh, and, and we have to get serious about this sort of stuff. I mean, like it's it's and, and, and the beauty of it is that the, the, the one group of people that, that understand this the best are Republicans right now. So the Republican, your average Republican voter has, I think, a a, based on my experience, has a far more radical view of Fauci and of President Biden and of the legitimacy of this entire process than a lot. I'm not going to say most, but but a lot of libertarians out there. Um, Yeah, if, if, if you're not already like a a state is illegitimate you know like you know an ancap if you're not already an ancap your average republican voter is closer to an ancap than your average minarchist dc uh, libertarian the 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 beltway libertarians yeah. you, yeah. you have 70% of, Amer- of of republicans that believe that joe biden is, has no democratic legitimacy sure now now again ignore yeah if, if you simply okay so this is not the same as having a argument that no democracy is legitimate right so th- that's closer to that viewpoint than the the libertarians out there mocking trump supporters for questioning the election right and and that's that's that goes into some of my, my larger the, the paleo strategy stuff because like the, i think the most the, the 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 element of the electorate 
that has been the most radicalized in the last year with the numbers is your average normie Republican. It's not your libertarian. It's not even your like you, your anarchists are already radical. I don't think there's a expand, it massively expanded in size. So I'm happy to see Michael Mouse's book doing as well as it is. I think when you have 50 million normie Republicans that know Donald Trump won the 2020 election, that is the largest, most radical army we've had relative to the population than 1776 yeah since since the american revolution that's a lot of minutes that number of people that's that's a that's this is a this is a different era and and we should like there's so many people that, that don't appreciate the significance of that i mean anatomy in the state is not simply talking about why the state is bad it is an analysis of where the state derives its power it's about the perception of legitimacy of the people and here you have 50 plus million people your average republican that questions that power that's it true that's the biggest thing out there and they're losing faith of all of the 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 federal institutions you know they don't trust the presidency obviously they don't like most republicans in congress much less the democrats they're losing faith in supreme court because they won't take up trump election issues they're losing they've lost faith in the fbi and the cia and they're now losing faith in the military because of the the, the, the wokeness, the indoctrination of that institution. That is the most exciting libertarian development that we've had, regardless of your average, your, your, the, the opinion of your average anti-Biden, 50 plus million Trump supporter on recreational heroin. And the fact that so many libertarians don't appreciate that and don't recognize that what that can do for state sovereignty and political decentralization like, why are we arguing about a third party when that's sitting there that's there like that's we didn't have we, we didn't have to build it it's just it's, it's sitting there like why would we consider anything else True. crazy well you know i think i think what it comes down to and and you know stop me if you think i'm wrong here uh i'm not a beltway libertarian by any means mm-hmm. Not my thing. I'm not a Cato guy. I'm obviously a Mises guy, uh, and and I, I agree a lot more with Republicans than I ever will with Democrats. It's just mm-hmm. how I, I've been that way my whole life. Um, but I also see that a lot of those, you know, when when you look at that 50 million people, a lot of those people are asking for a different flavor of tyranny, right? And so for some libertarians, they're like, it's all tyranny, it's all tyranny. So I get, I get the sentiment. Um, but what, what really drives me the most insane about this whole thing, right? The, 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 the election scandal, uh, the people who, who, you know, the, what really drives me crazy are libertarians that are like, no, there was no election fraud. Like right. as libertarians, right. we know that there's election fraud. Right. We know that there's election fraud in the, in the Obama era. We know that there's election fraud in the Bush junior area or era. Uh, we, we know that there was election fraud in the Clinton era. It's been going on for as long as I've been alive, every year or every election, there's some kind of election fraud found out. So to just say that now all of a sudden, because you hate Trump, there is no election fraud right. is just, it baffles me to even think a libertarian could sit down and actually say that with a straight face, regardless of who the president was. Yeah, no, I mean, if you just look at the history of that election, the, 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 the number of last second changes to election law, the, the, the unorthodox means of handling ballots, I mean, the fact that you had massive vote by mail, which is very regularly understood to be a more susceptible means of, of, of voter fraud than anything else. You know, if, if, if any libertarian that gives the assumption, the benefit of the doubt 
to the state when it comes to counting ballots, particularly in the 2020 election, where so many people in powerful positions made it clear that they thought Trump was a threat to humankind. Sure. Right. Why wouldn't you take those people seriously? And like, if, if you literally thought that you could stop Hitler from changing a few ballots, wouldn't you? Who, what, what, what moral human being would not commit voter fraud if you thought the alternative was literally Hitler? Sure. And so, like, all you have to do is just take the left seriously, which I, I, I know can be difficult at times, but you should. Like, they're, they're very clear about what they want um, if you listen to them enough. And, well, they, and so they, they yeah, say the, the whole quiet thing. part out loud quite quite frequently. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's what makes all that all that so silly. True. Um, but the beauty of it is that but the beauty of it is that I don't have to associate with most libertarians. And any libertarian like that is instantly those those, those those are now on the on the modal libertarian list. Which is there's a great article that I'll be publishing tomorrow um, from uh, from Murray Rothbard and the Why Paleo Strategy, where he outlines not only the reasons for right wing outreach. But the importance of uh, libertarian separatism, and he describes he contrasts a paleo libertarian from a model modal libertarian, and so you'll I think that a lot of the the people that will be blind to the skepticism of uh, the the state counting its ballots properly will will find themselves in that modal libertarian camp, uh, which Murray has some very uh, choice words for. I'm sure, I'm sure. I look forward to reading it. I you know it's funny that that word separatism. I always. You know, growing up, you always hear that word is a is is in a bad connotation, right? It's just a bad <laughs> word. You don't want to you don't want to talk about separatism. That's obviously a white nationalist thing. And then I had uh, um, Magnus Panvidia on, right? Who is uh, one of the Boog boys? He was like the considered probably one of the king of the Boogs. He's pretty left. He's kind of a mutualist, really. I mean, you know, okay. uh, maybe maybe a Benjamin Tucker Proudhon style, uh, uh, but who doesn't give a shit about the woke culture at all? He wants to nothing to do with it. Uh, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm a libertarian separatist." Separatist. And I was like, huh, huh. And I started kind of thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, dude. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I've always thought like that's where like people accuse me of being a seller or something. It's like, oh, I'm working with the Republican Party. I can't. How can you be an ANCAP if you work for them? It's because like the, the, the only way you're ever going to get like an ANCAP society, like a truly private government society, in my opinion, at least in the short term, is not going to be privatizing a state. It's going to be an opt out society. It's going to be a separatist movement. It's going to be seed setting. It's going to be a private city that you're able to buy from a third third world country. It's going to be getting people to opt into it. And it's Gulch Gulch, right? Where, you know, that, that, I mean, that was an opt-in society. The Free State Project, which I kind of, you know, that's a opt-in society. And ultimately, like, that, that's the way that you're going to get, the only way you're going to get to like a, a genuinely like private law society is going to be through, through libertarian separatism. The short of that, you're, you're, you're looking for like uh, uh, uh War of uh, uh, national liberation movements, and uh, that's that's what I'm looking for right now. I I, th- I think the future of American politics is national liberation movements, um, very similar to the decay of the Soviet Union, and that's where I think I one of th- one, one of my my, my favorite uh, I, I think uh, controversial statements perhaps is that like paleo libertarian Austro libertarian uh, political thought really comes into place. When you recognize that Louis von Mises was far to the right of Murray Rothbard, sure, and and like Rothbard was never as most Misesian in the '90s, particularly like Nations by Consent, sure, and um and like what he's describing is like the national liberation. Hey, what, what, what sparked Nations by Consent, um, which I think is the best libertarian argument for, for on our view of, of immigration and nationalism and all that. Um, what was was 
you know, as, as a result of national liberation from the Soviet Union. And I think that that's that should be the goal in terms of libertarian operations within the American empire. And, and I think that, you know, if, if we if we do not appreciate nation and community and what entails with that, and we instead just think that we can like turn our, our community into like Ancapistan overnight, um, I think that we're, we're we're missing out on a real real opportunity because I think strategically that's leave leave Ancapistan to the opt outs, the separatists. Um, but but dealing with politics as it stands now, we should be embracing our communities and our local cultures uh, in ways that can be politically powerful. Sure, sure. You almost you almost uh, sounded like Jeff Dice there talking about how uh, uh, you know blood and soil and 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 yeah. and all that stuff still means that's something to people. Well, so. Jeff, I mean, there's not many other libertarian thinkers out there that I think have. You know, obviously, I work for the Mises Institute, right? Sure. So I've got to be a propagandist to a certain extent. But Jeff Dice is—I've learned more from Jeff Dice than I have any other libertarian. One of the speaker smartest men I've ever heard. Brilliant. Well, what's kind of cool though is that that someone who sounds a lot like Jeff Dice um, is an old liberal named um, uh, uh, Gore Vidal. Oh yeah, sure. I know. Famous yep. liberal author, novelist, um, archenemy of uh, William H. Buckley, and um, his his late end of his life arguments, views on the American political system. He became very, very nationalist. He, he, he would talk about how like America is no longer one nation, sure. and uh, how America can learn a lot from Switzerland. And he was always very adamantly anti-empire. If anyone out there likes fiction, his historical fiction novels on American history, which is like narratives of empire, starts with Aaron Burr, which is great because like the Satan of American of the American Revolution, and then moving upwards and, and how America became an empire. It, it's fascinating. It, it makes him. I had a conversation with Lou Rockwell about this uh, early, or recently. Vidal's view of American history is fundamentally Rothbardian. Which sure. is beautiful. I, I I don't think it's intentionally so. I mean, he wasn't reading Rothbard, but it, it is, and uh, and it's, so it's interesting. Whenever you can see like Deistian political analysis come from someone like Gore Vidal, it, it's always so much fun because like, that that's the future. Like, that that's the grown up solution in the room is the national doors. It is an appreciation for for de- for political decentralization, and and anything short of that, like when, when we get so uh, like obsessed like national political. I mean, Anything short of, na- of 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 understanding the power of political decentralization, it's to me a distraction, because until you fundamentally structure the powers of the American Empire, all the discussions about liberty in the world don't matter. We're living in a system subsidized to destroy any sense, any idea of rights that we appreciate in a theoretical vacuum. Sure, sure. Well, man, we're getting really close to the, end of the show. Uh, I wanted to kind of save this this little bit for the end here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you work with some wonderful people. I mean, some of the greatest people on earth, in my opinion, uh, people like Tom Woods and, and, uh, Jeff Deist and, and, uh, and, and Hoppe. And, uh, my, one of my very favorites is, is Dr. Walter Block. I mean, he's probably one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, he has shaped a lot of what I believe in, in, in my theory, uh, my political, uh, philosophy, um, uh, my time at working in politi- political, uh, politics, but, so, so you've had to have heard some really cool stories from some of these guys, and and I just want to—I probably talked about this on the show before, but my favorite story that I've ever heard from any of the uh, uh, fellows from Mises was Dr. Walter Block telling me about how he was this hardcore socialist in college. Uh, he 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 was on the track team with Bernie Sanders in college, and they got invited to this luncheon, 
And uh, he shows up to this luncheon, and there's this woman at the end of the table who's this uh, uh, very righty person, right? And so he goes up to, to hey, I want to debate you on, on these topics. And uh, she won't even look at him. And, in fact, the guy that was kind of with her you know, says, here, take this book. Go read this book. And when you're done reading this book, uh, come back, and, and, and she'll have this debate with you. Well, that person was Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, you hear that story about Walter Block, and you just go, what? of an amazingly cool fucking story to hear from Walter Block. So, so is there any stories or anything that's happened since you've been working at the Mises Cox that's, or at the Mises Institute? Sorry, the caucus and the Institute are not the same thing. I just want to make sure, make it clear, uh, that, that, that have stuck with you that you remember that, that, that make you smile. Um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, the Institute is such a, a privileged place to work and, uh, you know, having some, I, I, I got to get, uh, I had, had, Dr. Hoppe signed a canvas print of a Mises of, of, a, of a Hoppe meme, and I, I got to see him. Like for, for he, he was so delighted when he saw it. And then Guido Holzman was sitting there, and he explained and uh, uh, he explained to him in German, like what 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 he was signing, and like so that that was that was just a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of some some others. I mean, I, one of my favorite Mises stories that I've heard. I, I was able to spend a, a wonderful evening talking with Richard Ebeling. Who who is just such a fascinating individual, and he he had this great story about um, uh, Louis von Mises and Margaret Mises traveled to San Francisco um, to uh, uh, go to an event for IHS, and uh, even when they got picked up, they were driving through like the red light district of San Francisco, and um, Margaret was 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 seeing all these strip clubs, and she 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 it was aghast at this, and she she, she told Lou like. Lou, do, do you see this? Topless, bottomless. <laughs> and the way the story is told is that Mises, you know, you thought about this and said, very bad for the textile industry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, that's, that's one of my favorite, favorite Mises stories. Um, oh, Broadway. I'm from, I'm from right outside of San Francisco, so I know exactly uh, where that's at. Yeah, no, it, it's, 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 uh, some some of the best personality institute you wouldn't know if you're if you're there. Like one of the things I think that that, that people would never appreciate about the institute is like we're, we we are a a woman driven institute. Sure. Like most of the staff are women. The uh, Pat Barnett, who was our who, who still is our vice president, she she uh, uh, recently retired in her her daily roles. I mean she she was the foundation of the institute. I mean, you know, it's I've been so blessed to be able to talk to Marty Rockwell and they talk about back in the day. When you know they would save paper clips and and how how much of a shoestring budget they had, and yet they had someone who was a donor that came in and, and wanted to, to talk more about investing, and so like they all, you know, all, all the women got together and they they cooked them a nice like home meal, and it was, it was Marty Rockwell and it was Pat Burnett, and and like that was the foundation. Of the institute was people that had no money that were saving, budgeting everything. And just had the opportunity through the sheer brilliance of Lou Rockwell and some of the young scholars that were attracted, um, able to build the most important organization in terms of sal- publishing, preserving, promoting, and developing the ideas f- foundational to the, to, to the development and preservation of civilization. And, and that's what Lou Rockwell is the indispensable man of libertarian ideas in 20th century America True. without him being able to build the institution that he had without billionaire money 
be able to build that through hard work and sweat and giving off what was a, a leaving what was a, a, a very good publishing career is one of the most heroic feats that that for such a niche cause. I mean, go, try to imagine going out there and try to sell the, the works of Louis Van Mies in the world. I didn't care. Right. Lou Rockwell is, is, is a hero. And anyone who, who values the ideas of Mises or Rothbard or Hazlitt that doesn't love Lou Rockwell is an ingrate and <laughs> sure. doesn't deserve the ideas of Mises, <laughs> right. Rothbard, and Hayek. Yeah, and, I don't I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you. There's some people out there who like to pull up old writings and old works and say, look, they're at, useless. This, look at this, look at this. They, they, they are taking pot shots. They they they're they are taking ill informed, desperate pot shots at better men, and they should be laughed at and ignored. That's why they that's why history won't remember them, but the history will remember Lou Rockwell. Sure. I definitely agree. I, I cannot disagree there, sir. Well, hey man, I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell the good people watching where they can find Tho Bishop and uh and give support at, man? Yeah, well you could find me at the Mises Institute and you can find me at, at Radio Rothbard. Well, we've 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 had a little bit of a, a pause um because of my co host Ryan McMakin, but we'll getting getting that up. I've uh, been doing an experimental podcast with my buddy Ford Seuss, the surfing violinist, uh, Redneck Riviera. And um, one of my new projects with the blessing of Lou is RothbardRockwellReport.com, where I am republishing um, the classic 90s paleo articles from the Triple R, as well as uh, articles from Liberty Magazine and Chronicles. And uh, I will be building out the intellectual sphere of paleo libertarianism. Uh, because I think it's a moment whose time has once again come back. Sure. So, uh, so that's one of the things I'm really excited about. And uh, again, it, at, at Tho Bishop, it's a weird name. Um, and so uh, it, it, and if anyone from your viewership ends up in the Redneck Riviera here in uh, Bay County, Florida, I will happily buy anyone a drink. Just reach out to me on Twitter. Yeah, and you got bars that are open, man, and you don't even got to yes. wear a mask. Yes. Well, shit, man. Hey, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I think that the work you're doing is invaluable. Even if you chose a party, I don't agree with all the time. You know what I mean? Well, that's the beauty of the paleo strategies. I'm trying to, I, I'm not trying to, to, to kick you guys out. I'm trying to win you guys over. Sure. So that, that's the fun I get to have next few years. <laughs> Rad. Well, Hey man, thanks again for coming on and we'll definitely see you later, brother. Excellent. Later, man. All right. All right, guys, another awesome show. Break the cycle. Those the man definitely go check them out. Follow them. Go to the Mises Institute. Uh, check out everything they have to offer. I know that the next item I will be getting on my shelves back here somewhere is going to be the Mises bust that you can order on the store on Mises Institute. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I need to get it. Uh, I will eventually. It's a little expensive, but I'll get there. Um, once again, let's make sure we uh, check out Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend, one of the coolest people in the movement. Uh, you guys are going to start getting to see him a lot more as like a person. He's doing a lot more podcasts. And in fact, we just booked uh, the day after the 4th of July, July 5th, will be a special episode of Couch Streams with me and your boy, Top Lobster. I'm very excited. He also just put out this cool custom Break the Cycle pillow. You can now take a piece of the Couch Stream set and have it at your house. Go to toplobster.com. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And Anthem Planning, executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com. Check them out. Emergency crisis planning uh, for your business, personal, home, whatever you need them for. 
Check them out. Amy Lepore is awesome. You should be doing uh, anything that you need through them for your business. Uh, let's see. Coming up on Friday, we're going to have the man, J.J. Boogie, the guitarist from Arrested Development on the show. I'm so excited for this, man. He is uh, not only is he like one of the coolest guys I've ever talked to online, uh, he's also got that beard, man. That beard is so it, – it gives me beard envy. Um, check out the uh, – you, you can listen to this podcast, by the way. If you don't have time to watch it live, you can listen to it on all your favorite podcast apps. Uh, we're, we're averaging like all, over 1,500 uh, listens per week right now, which is really awesome for a show that's only been around a little over two months. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you guys supporting Break the Cycle. But if you would like to financially support Break the Cycle, please check us out on Patreon, patreon.com backslash BreakTheCycleJS or subscribestar.com uh, backslash or uh, dot com backslash break the cycle js uh there's some really cool tiers there you can get some pretty cool gear uh top lobster uh drawn gear there's a mug club i did steal that from steven crowder i'm not ashamed to say it um and also i was gonna say something else to you guys and and i can't remember what it was terrible terrible but anyways uh i will see you guys friday until then don't forget to break the cycle to explain the lyrics of my last song they seem to contain a violent call to action in the verse of the frame but i just landed in minecraft the helicopter part was in reference to gta 5 and the things you do so any violence you commit i am not an excuse because i just landed in minecraft your temper is my friend and he's constantly cold accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless there's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're nothing I mean, you 